Well, good morning, church. Both to those of you who are here in person, those who are joining us online, uh, just wonderful to be with you once again. Uh, you know, we, were, we had a bit of a break. I took some holiday time at Christmas, and uh, it was really good. Chance to rest, chance to reflect, chance to see family. Um, yeah, so it was a great time. Thank you for allowing me to take some time off. Uh, but, you know, now the new year is upon us. Uh, and with the new year always comes that sort of renewed sense of hope and optimism and the, you know, that idea that this year is going to be, it's going to be different. Uh, this year I'm going to make some of those changes I've been putting off. This year I'm going to get things done. Um, that's what sort of that New Year's resolution is kind of all about, you know, just correcting some of those past mistakes or, you know, making some course corrections, uh, creating some new healthy habits in your life. Uh, and just, you know, really, it comes down to just us wanting to make the most of the time that we have. Uh, and that's actually with that in mind, you can turn with me to the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's actually been quite a few weeks since we've actually looked at this letter. It's a very big break that we had in the middle of our sermon series. Uh, and I probably could have wrapped this up before Christmas if I just crammed a whole bunch of stuff together into one sermon. But you know, these final words of Paul uh, that he writes to this church in Thessalonica, uh, they're really too precious to sort of skip over. I wanted to take my time uh, to really look at them. And I think that time was something that was probably on Paul's mind as he writes the final words of this letter. Uh, in fact, these verses kind of remind me, I don't know, going way back, but I remember being in high school, like diploma exams, and you get your little booklet, and those, some of them were long answer, and you're given like three or four sheets of paper to answer one question, you know, that you're given. So, you know, you start writing, and you know, the blah, 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 social studies, whatever, Soviet Union, all that stuff. And then you're about halfway through, and you turn the page, you realize, oh, oh I only have one page left, and I've just, you know, so you start writing smaller, and then, you know, you realize you're really writing it, so you start writing right to the edges of every page, and then, you know, it just, and suddenly your sentences get shorter, like, you know, it just, yeah, that, that's kind of the picture I have of Paul as he's writing these final verses uh, to the church of Thessalonica. And it's not that he's running out of paper, um, but what I want, I do think is happening here is Paul He's trying to wrap up his thoughts, and he's making a real effort to try just to keep it short and to the point. Uh, in fact, there's even kind of a change in flow as you're reading uh, this passage, if you, if you notice it. And in fact, Paul goes from averaging about 17 words per verse in the rest of the letter uh, to about six words per verse uh, as, he, as he begins to wrap things up. It gets really short. Uh, what, and what happens is that it leaves us with this very compact but very truth-dense section in this letter. And it's really, again, about how to make the most of our lives and the time that we have been given. And if you're one of those people who sort of likes to have a theme verse for your year and you don't have one already, yeah, you would do well to consider these verses as words just to live by in the days ahead. And if you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to read it for you. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. And Paul writes there, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain 
from every form of evil. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us this morning, uh, that your presence, your Holy Spirit would be moving among us, that, Lord, you would fill me, uh, give me the strength and the focus to, to, to just really proclaim the word uh, to the people of this church, and that, Lord, you would give us, through your word, words to live by, uh, words that matter, words that make a difference, words that truly will help us not just get the most out of life, but, Lord, to discover what life is truly all about. Um, open our ears, open our eyes. May we see this truth. And Lord, we pray that you would truly be with us in all that we do here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a song I enjoy. It's called Seasons of Love. Uh, I'm not gonna sing it because that ruins everything, but it opens with the word, it's 525,600 minutes. 525,000 moments so dear, 525,600 minutes. How do you measure measure a year? In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee, in inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife. In 5,000, 25,600 minutes, how do you measure a year in the life? Now, that's a great song. It comes from a lousy musical, but um, it's a great question to ask ourselves this morning. Especially as we stand here sort of at the start of, of this brand new year. How do you measure a year? Because you know what? Life is about more than just sort of the passing of, the, of time. It's more about just the ticking of the clock. Um, that's why I love the, woman, the words of a woman named Nadine Stare, who at the age of 85 years old said, if I had my life to live over again, I'd try to make more mistakes the next time. I would relax, I would limber up, I would be sillier than I have been this trip. She says, I know very few things I would take seriously. I would take more chances, I would take more trips, I would, I'd be crazier. I'd climb more mountains, swim more rivers, watch more sunsets. I would do more walking and looking and I would eat more ice cream. And I would eat less beans. <laughs> she says, I'd have more actual troubles and fewer imaginary ones. You see, I've been one of those people who never goes anywhere without a thermometer, a hot water bottle, a gargle, a raincoat, an aspirin, and a parachute. Oh, I've had my moments, and if I had to do it over again, I'd have more of them. In fact, I'd try to have nothing else, just moments, one after another. If I had to do it all over again, I would go places. I would do things. I would travel lighter than I have. I would ride more merry-go-rounds, and I'd pick more daisies. And you know, wouldn't it be nice to be able to live like that? Live with that sort of carefree attitude. Wouldn't it be nice to just live knowing we're, we are making the most of our time? Well, as I said, you know, as we come to this passage this morning, Paul, as he's writing, actually has some advice for us about doing just that. Advice to, to us about living. This is advice to us about how to make the most of our time. And again, it's, it's interesting. One thing that all of the advice that Paul gives this morning has in common is that it's, it's the always kind of advice. Every one of the things that Paul talks about here is, is in the perfect present tense. Um, everything here is given with a sense that we are not only to be doing these things constantly, but we need to keep doing them. They're always on, always present, always happening, always to be active in our lives. And just for example, he says, rejoice always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in everything. This is advice to us that is always relevant, always applicable, and always for the moment that we are living in right now. And this is how God's people should be living at all times and in all circumstances. And really, when you look at what Paul has to say here, I mean, what a way to live. Honestly, I mean, forget about the ice cream and the merry-go-rounds. This is where real and true living is found. And as we take a look at what Paul has to say, we begin in verse 16 where he says, Rejoice always. Now that's not the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's close. But it's a verse that is packed with so much meaning. Because God's desire is that we as his followers, as his people, that we choose to have a joyful attitude in all circumstances. But you know, maybe you might ask the question, how realistic is that? Some of you may be old enough to remember a few years ago, Bobby McFerrin had a song. Again, not going to sing it for you, but you'll probably know the melody. Don't worry, be happy. It was super catchy. It was super positive. It was like earworm. It got in your head. And I hated it. It was terrible. Because how realistic was it? I'll just not worry and I'll just be happy. Because saying it or, or singing it is easy, but actually doing that, it's really hard. And yet, how is that song different from what Paul tells us to do in this verse? Well, the difference is this. You see, when the Bible tells us to be joyful, it goes, on beyond, it goes beyond the power of sort of positive thinking. It goes beyond just being a Pollyanna and pretending that the world is, you know, all rainbows and lollipops and unicorns and all that stuff. Because without fail, when the Bible tells us to be joyful, it has one real focus, one reason in mind that we can be joyful. And the reason for our joy is found in the Lord himself. That's the difference. You know, Psalm 97, verse 12 says, Rejoice in the Lord. You who are righteous, praise his holy name. Isaiah 25, 9. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. We, let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Habakkuk 3.18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And again, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And you know, this is something we need to understand. As believers, true joy is not found in our possessions. It's not found in money or cars or in our homes. True joy is not found in pleasure or entertainment. True joy doesn't come from just having a can-do attitude. No, true joy comes out of our relationship with Christ. And there's nothing that can change that. You know, there's no circumstance, no situation that we can find ourselves in that can take away our relationship with Jesus. That relationship we have with Jesus and the joy that comes from it is ours always. You know, Paul even says in Romans 8, verses 38, 39, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the privilege of our Christian life. That is the source of our unending, continual joy. And you know, part of that joy and part of that relationship that we have with Jesus is nurtured 
by the next piece of Paul's advice to us. Verse 17, where he says, pray without ceasing. And you know, the simple fact is prayer, prayer connects us to God in a way that nothing else can. Prayer is an opportunity for us to just share our lives, share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams with our Savior. Francis Fenelon, a 17th century monk, once wrote this advice about prayer, saying, tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart, its pleasures and its pain, to a dear friend. Tell him your troubles. Tell him your joys. Tell him your longings. Tell him your dislikes. Tell him of your temptations. Show him the wounds of your heart. If you pour out all your weakness, needs, thoughts, and troubles, there will never be a lack of what to say. And that's the kind of praying that this passage is talking about here. It's about talking to God about everything. It's sharing every part of your life with Jesus. Praying continually. But again, maybe we should ask here, is is this practical? Is is, Is it realistic? Is Paul saying we should be down on our knees with our eyes closed and our hands folded and our heads bowed 24 hours a day? Because that's going to make things like driving really tough. Like, does Paul mean that we are to be praying when we're asleep? I mean, is that what he means when he tells us to pray continually? Well, I think just to clarify, I think Paul is, when he talks about pray or without ceasing, he means two things. Uh, First, he's talking about a prayer life where a person is active and habitual, and constant, and consistent in their prayer time with God, where they have a commitment to a regular time of prayer, and it's a priority in their life, they don't overlook. Because you know what, sometimes prayer in our lives can go missing. You know, I think prayer is one of those things, we all want to do it more, but so often it never seems to happen. So prayer is kind of, it gets reserved for emergencies. You know, we just kind of break out prayer when, when we need trouble or, or, or help. But praying without ceasing means a commitment and spending time dedicated to prayer in our lives. It's it's a habit of going to God daily in prayer. But I think prayer without ceasing also means that we are to seek to live our lives just every moment with an awareness of God. It's living with our hearts constantly focused on the Lord. A picture I came up with this week was that of sort of going for a walk with someone you love, just to spend time together. You know, when you go for a walk with someone you love, you don't have to plan an agenda for what you're going to talk about. It's not like you're going to say, well, we'll spend the first five minutes on small talk, and then the next five minutes we'll discuss current events, and then five minutes after that we'll resolve some conflict issues that come up, and, you know, on and on like that. When you go for a walk with someone, you just go to enjoy each other's company. But, you know, as you're walking with that person, you know, something catches your eye. Or if you have a thought, you just share it. It's like, oh, look at that, look at that lovely flower. Or oh, look at that bird. Or, you know, oh, the neighbors are putting up a new fence. And you, you just bring that up as it comes along. You're just sharing the thoughts of your heart as they rise up within you. Or even moments when you're silent. And to me, prayer without ceasing is, is, is really like that. It's like going for an extended, continual walk with God knowing that he is just with you wherever you are. It's recognizing and acknowledging God's presence with us in all things and just having our hearts focused on him and sharing that with him. Which brings us to Paul's third piece of advice for living, found in verse 18, where he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
And again, for the third time this morning, let's ask, is this realistic? Is it even possible to be thankful in everything? Reminds me of that old story of the four-year-old boy who was asked to give thanks before Thanksgiving dinner. You know, the family had bowed their heads in expectation, waiting around the table, and he began his prayer, thanking the Lord for his friends, and he named them one after another. Then he thanked the Lord for mommy and daddy and brother and sister and grandma and grandpa and all his aunts and uncles. And then he started in on the food, and so he began to thank the Lord for the food. He gave thanks for the turkey and the dressing and the fruit salad and the cranberry sauce and the pies and the cakes and even the Cool Whip. But then he paused, and everybody waited and waited, and after a long silence, the young boy looked up at his mom and simply said, if I thank the Lord for the Brussels sprouts, won't he know I'm lying? (laughs) He knows. (laughs) But how can a person who hates Brussels sprouts truly be thankful in everything? How can any of us be thankful in every circumstance? Well, I want you to notice something important in this verse. This verse doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. It says be thankful in all circumstances. And that's an important difference between the two that I don't want you to miss because there's no way for us to be happy or thankful for everything that happens to us. But just like we talked about when we talked about an attitude of joy, we can be thankful in spite of circumstances because our thankfulness is not found in our circumstances. It is found in God. And you know, the truth is some of us can fall into that habit where, you know, we can be wonderfully thankful when things are going well for us. But when that turns, we, you know, we can bitterly complain and get grumpy when things don't go the way we want them. But as theologian Erwin Lutzer points out, he says, you can learn to give thanks even if you don't feel particularly thankful because thankfulness is not an emotion. Thankfulness is an intelligent response to the gratitude of gratitude to God. So having a heart of thankfulness is really about a choice that we make, a choice about our own attitude. And if we make that choice, we don't have to wait to be thankful. We don't have to postpone gratitude until our circumstances change. We can, as Christians, be thankful right now, no matter our circumstances, because thankfulness can be ours in Christ. So in all things, in all circumstances, we we need to choose to be grateful people. And we can do that as we focus on God and all that he has done for us as his people. And then Paul continues into verse 19. He says, do not quench the Spirit. And there's a little bit of a change here in this verse. Uh, as Paul goes from talking about things we should be doing, now to a few things we shouldn't be doing. And the first of these do not do's is, he says, quenching the Spirit. Because you know what? As believers, we need to be Holy Spirit-filled believers. I love the words of A.W. Tozer who says, be convinced that the Holy Spirit-filled life is for you. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is not an added or extra. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for all of his people. And the Bible tells us that without the Holy Spirit, there would be no source of wisdom, no insight, no freedom, no understanding of the truth. There would be no fruit of the Spirit. There would be no spiritual gifts. There would be no living victoriously in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who fans into flames the passion of our faith. 
But if you get in mind that, that idea of that, those flames of faith, that word quench that Paul uses in this verse, it was, it was a word that was used when someone would, would pour water onto an open fire. Or when a blacksmith would, would quench you know, a, a red-hot iron in, into a bath. So how do we do, how do we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives? How do we take this fire of God and, 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 and put it out? Well, we do that by refusing to do the things like Paul just talked about here. We quench the Holy Spirit when we refuse to be joyful. And instead, we replace joy in our lives with complaining and bitterness and anger in our lives. Letting, you know, problems get under our skin and fester. And we do that by being prayerless. No, shutting down our God time, ignoring our relationship with him, just taking God for granted. And we do that when we forget to be grateful, when we're ungrateful, we, where we refuse to sort of see the good things that God has done for us. And we're just never quite content with the things we have, and we only focus on the things we don't have. That's how you quench the Spirit. That's how you put out the fire of God. It's by living your own way instead of a God's way. It, it, you know, quenching the Holy Spirit is about replacing obedience and surrender to God in your life and replacing it with an independence and a focus on yourself. And if that fire has cooled, I mean, you're sure to work, live a lukewarm, spiritually unremarkable life. That's the danger of quenching the Holy Spirit. And then Paul adds another danger for us to avoid. Where he says in verse 20, do not despise prophecies. And you know, when Paul says prophecies here, what I want you to be thinking is scripture. Um, just as Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but what men spoke from God when they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So really, I think in other words, what Paul is saying here is that a big part of living the life God has called us to live is lived by not ignoring the word of God. It is a life that is to be grounded in the scriptures and living out the scriptures and holding everything up in our lives up to the standard and the truth of scriptures. So he goes on in verse 21, he says, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain every form of evil. Because the Bible allows us to test things. The Bible is what offers us discernment. The Bible is what allows us to know the difference between good and evil. The Bible offers us a foundation of truth to live by, even in a world that rejects the very idea of absolute truth. So each one of us should make it a practice to regularly examine our lives through the lens of God's word. Each one of us should be taking time to examine our lives to see if there's areas where, that are breaking down. We should be looking at our walk of faith to see if there are areas we know need attention. Examining our holiness to see if there's been any compromises. Examining our habits to see if there are things that are getting us off track or if we should be doing some things that are get, would get us back on track. We should be examining our families and our relationships and our work and our habits and our thoughts and everything else in our lives against God's truth. 
know, just as the psalmist says in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what Paul is telling us to do here. With the Bible as our standard, examine your life. And you know, if you find something in your life that's good, Paul says, hold fast to it. Nurture that in your life. But he also says, if you find something in your life that's bad or distracting you from your having a relationship with God, that's leading you into sin, he says, get rid of it. Abstain from that evil. And that's just, that's just more advice, more good advice for us to follow. And as you look at those five things, um, you know, taken together, I think this passage actually does a really good job in showing us as believers a great way to live. And you know, what better way than to begin this new year than with an attitude that says, let's make the most of it. Let's do what Paul tells us to do. And just as we close, I want to quickly give you just a few final applications that I hope are just very practical, that will help us all sort of more fully live out this truth in our lives. And again, there's five applications here. And the first is this. When it comes to the idea of rejoicing always, one of the best things that we can do is spend time worshiping God. Uh, when we think about worship, we think about putting on you know, music, CD, uh, you know, listening to some of that, those great hymns of faith. Uh, and that's great, but you know, worship can also be other things, like you know, getting out into God's creation, seeing his handiwork, that kind of stuff. But whatever it is for you, find a way to worship. Find a way in your life that exalts and lifts Jesus high. Because that's what worship is supposed to do. And worship, worship when it's done well, it, it reminds us of the greatness of God. It reminds us of our hope. It reminds us of our salvation. It reminds us of all of those important and essential truths that are the basis of our joy. So if you need a joy infusion, take time to worship. And secondly, when it comes to prayer without ceasing, my advice is to pray, which seems kind of obvious, uh, but don't overlook how important it is to have a regular and scheduled time of fellowship with God. And do it always. Do it on good days and bad days. Do it on slow days and busy days. Do it when you feel happy. Do it when you feel sad. Do it when you have something to celebrate. Do it when you have something that you mourn. Do it when you're excited. Do it when you're terrified. Do it when you're embarrassed. Do it when you're stressed or confused or exalted. Just do it. And do it continually. Make it a habit. Make prayer a regular part of your life. Then the third thing I would give you this morning is when it comes to this idea of despising prophecies or don't despising prophecies, the best thing you can do is be reading the Word of God daily. I mean, again, you could even combine this with, with, you know, into a devotional time with your time of prayer that we just talked about. But as believers, we need to be students of the Bible. We need to go daily into the Word of God for spiritual nourishment. And that transforms, it changes us. Uh, Rick Warren in his book, Perfect Driven Life, says, no other habit can do more to transform your life and make you more like Jesus than daily reflection on the Scriptures. As we take time to contemplate God's truth, seriously reflecting on the example of Christ, we are transformed into his likeness in ever-increasing glory. So be reading the word of God. And again, be reading it daily. Then fourth, when it comes to being thankful, giving thanks in all circumstances, my advice is actually keep a gratitude journal. 
You know, we used, to, we used to sing that old song, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And you know, if we all did that, chances are we'd be just so much more aware of how God has blessed our lives. And being aware of God's blessing just cultivates an attitude of thankfulness in our lives. So before you go to bed or sometime during the day, you know what, just make it a habit to think about or write down at least a few things that you were thankful for that day. Count your blessings, write them down, because the goodness of God to us is, it's so often either overlooked or too quickly, quickly forgotten in our lives if we don't take time to really focus on it and appreciate it. And then finally, my final word of advice for you in all of this is simply don't make the mistake in this new year of confusing the urgent things in life with the essential things in life. Because you know what? If you'll let it, life will pull us in 10 different directions at once. And you're distracted by every turn. You know, I, re- I read a few, you know, just years ago that a leading medical journal wrote that stress has now replaced bacteria as the leading cause of illness in our society today. And this is why most resolutions fail, because we get distracted by those things we want to do, by the things we feel like we have to do. But understand that the things in our lives that make the most noise are not always the things that are the most important or the things that are essential. And they're not the things that lead us into the presence of God. And you know, the things that Paul is writing about in our passage today, you know, rejoicing, prayer, spending time in the Word, those are not things that are going to make a lot of noise in your life. They're not things that are going to demand your attention and say, do us. You know, they're not going to pout or stomp their feet if they don't get their way. And because of that, if we're not careful, those things will quickly fade into the background to be replaced by all of the other distractions we have in life. In fact, I think I've made sort of one big mistake this morning by calling what Paul tells us to do here advice. Because by calling it advice, it gives gives people the impression that these are things we can kind of take or leave. But that's not the case. The things that Paul actually writes here are commandments from God. They are things that we are to be living by. So let's hold them tight. You know, even when life gets hectic, don't trade these things for any lesser things. And I hope that you do take this to heart this morning because really this is what living should be about for us as believers, as Christians. So let me ask just as we close, what would you say is the most significant day of your life? You know, what day in your life would stand out to you? What day, if you think about all the days you've lived, what day would make the top of your list as the best day ever? Maybe you think about the day you were born. You probably don't remember much, but probably a significant day, right? Maybe you're thinking of one of those milestone days that comes along. Graduating university, buying your first car, getting your first home or your first job. Or maybe one of your greatest moments that stands out is, is something you shared with someone else. The moment you fell in love, your wedding day or the day your children were born. Maybe for you, feel the best day of your life was the day that you put your faith in Christ for the first time. And your life changed forever. And I'll tell you, those are all incredible moments, incredible memories, incredible days. 
But this morning, I just want to offer you another candidate for the greatest day of your life. Because without discounting any of those other days or any of those other great moments that come along in life, I believe the greatest day of your life can be this day right here, right now. This tick of the clock, this beat of your heart. And I don't say that because this day is going to be better. It's not going to be more pleasant or happier or easier than any other day in your life. It's not the day you're going to win money or anything like that. I say that because this is the moment you're living in right now. And I say that because this moment can be a moment that is filled with joy. And a moment that can be full of prayer. A moment that can be marked in your life by gratitude to God. It can be a moment in the midst of the ordinary that you realize that Jesus is alive and Jesus is risen and that Jesus is with you and that he's filling your soul with hope and filling your life with his Holy Spirit. And that's not just for Sundays or just right now. That is every day, every moment that we draw breath. That today is the best day. Because we're living for the Lord. And living like that changes a person. Living like that changes everything. Living like that truly is living life to the fullest. Which is what Jesus promised his followers. And that's the kind of life that Paul has led us to today. So hear his words again. And take them to heart. To rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. To give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do not quench the spirit. And do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil. Let's pray. Lord God, um, yeah, it's a new year. And lots of us are probably, you know, thinking about just that fresh start. Just that idea of this is the year that we want to make some changes. This is the year that we want to do things differently. And Lord, that desire within us is really about wanting to make the most of our time and living the best life. And Lord, we know that our best life and our best use of time is used in in following you and living as you have called us to live. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, we would embrace the things that Paul talked about. Lord, how amazing would it be if we all took time to rejoice always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, and that, Lord, we don't quench the Holy Spirit by ignoring it or or doing other things, but, Lord, we surrender to it, and we nurture the work that you're trying to do in our lives, and that, Lord, we, we incorporate the Word of God to be our standard, not just truth for the sake of truth, but, Lord, truth that transforms us, and truth that shapes our life going forward. And Lord, we're so grateful for those things. We are so grateful that you can, as as believers, we're so grateful that you allow us the fullness of life that is available to us in Jesus Christ that Paul talks about here. And Lord, we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the goodness you've showed us. We rejoice in the grace that you've shown to us as your people. May we embrace it, and Lord, may we just live. um, Live it to the fullest. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.